0: So this morning we start a new series from 1 Corinthians and um, out of all the books, uh, all all of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians is the one that is most focused about um, the church. And when I say the church, I obviously uh, don't mean in terms of he's not talking about buildings. He's not talking about an institution. He's not talking about some sort of um, governance structure, Uh, or a denomination he is talking about what it means to be the people of God and there's part of me that um, isn't excited to to speak about the church because I kind of want to speak about mission and I don't want to be too internal but if we get church wrong then our ability to be on mission and ability to be be God's people and to, to to follow after what God's called us to is lost and so um the first message is on the topic of, uh, of unity, and I'll, I'll start with a bad joke just to, just to launch us off. So uh, there was a man who um, uh, was found on a uh, desert island, and, and he'd been there for 10 years living on this island, the only, only person there, and, and a boat finally passed by and saw him waving and signaling and came in and rescued him. And when they got there, they, they saw that there were three huts that the man had built on the island and they said oh what are the what are the three huts for and he said well the first one is my house that's where I live I said what's the what's the other one for he said well that's the church that's where I that's where I worship that's where I go to church every week and they said well what's the third hut for he said oh that's that's where I used to go to church and uh, (laughs) so there we go uh, I can actually see people laughing, which is encouraging. And so, you know, the the joke is so often that that division and disunity and separation is so such a common feature in our churches that we get the joke, which is it, which is amusing but also sad. And um, you know, unity is an incredible thing. When a team is united uh, in sport. Um, then incredible things become possible. When a workplace is united, a business is united, when a community is united, uh, incredible things are possible. I I remember thinking of the uh, bushfires of, was it the start of last year, I think, or the end of the year before, and the way in a crisis, a community came together and people started working together and serving together. When people are united, incredible things are possible But when there is division, disunity is incredibly destructive. So we're going to launch out into this series, and I'm going to now hand over to Cam Demick, who is going to share uh, the Bible reading for the the first passage this morning.
1: All right, Hi, everyone. It's good to see so many faces. Um, So I've got the Bible passage, 1 Corinthians 1 um, to 17. So Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. and our our brother softness to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on his on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ I always thank my God for you because of his grace given given you in Christ Jesus For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about, about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you infirm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Who has who has called you in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some, of, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still, another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Paul, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for uh, Crispus and Gaius. So so no no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach, uh, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Back to you, Mark.
0: Thanks, Cam. Uh... Let's pray and then we'll get into this word. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Thank you that your spirit does not dwell in a building, but in our hearts. And therefore, you are with every single person hearing this message now as you are with me as I speak it. And I pray that your spirit will guide us in truth Teach us, illuminate your word and speak through it so that you might uh, reveal to us what it is you want us to take out of this message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me kind of work through this verse by verse. Uh, The first three verses set the scene for the whole book. And I'm just going to kind of set the scene for the series. And then I'll speak about the issue that Paul raises. Uh, to start with a very basic thing who wrote this book well it's the Apostle Paul and I think every time I start a series written by Paul I want to remind myself and I want to remind us about the miracle of the fact that the person who wrote most of the New Testament the Apostle Paul was actually the same guy who before he encountered Jesus was persecuting the church sending Christians to prison And it's recorded that the first Christian who was martyred, Stephen, it was Paul, or as he was known, then Saul, who was standing there giving his approval for the execution of this guy, Stephen. And that man, the man who most passionately wanted to persecute the church, met Jesus, had his life changed, and then became the person who God used to take the gospel out to the Gentiles of whom we are amongst those people, and for me that's just an awesome thing to remind us of, how God can actually bring an incredible transformation in someone's life, and so we're reminded of that as we start this letter. It's also by uh, a, a, the letters by a guy called Sosthenes, who was a uh, probably in a uh, someone working with Paul. He may have been the person who who wrote this, because often. Paul would speak out and someone would actually scribe and write it down. Uh, we don't know too much about this guy. Um, and, and Paul was an apostle, which means he's a leader. He's someone appointed to preach uh, the gospel and someone who has known Jesus and encountered Jesus. And uh, he's writing to the church in Corinth. And so to really understand Corinthians, we need to understand uh, what was going on in this city. And also uh, I kind of want to describe it as the tale of two cities. You've got the city of Corinth and then Paul's writing to the the church. So it's like a community within a community. The the church is always a people within a people, a community within a community or a city within a city. Uh, The church, uh, each local church is situated in a context of a wider culture. And that culture is all around us we're part of it, we're in it, but we're called not to be belonging to it at at one level. So we're we're meant to be in it, but not of it. Corinth was uh, an influential city. It was probably the fourth largest city in the Roman empire at the time. And it was uh, strategically located on trade routes. And for that reason, it was a city that people from all over the Roman empire moved to, making it multicultural, cosmopolitan, uh, wealthy, and successful. And so it was a a place where people had a lot of wealth, but it was also widely known for uh, its licentiousness, which is to say it's kind of uh, sexual promiscuity and its immorality. So much so that the Roman empire, which was not a particularly moral place, there was a saying in there that if someone was behaving in a very immoral way, um you could it was said of that person oh they're they're behaving like a corinthian okay so that was kind of like the ultimate sort of uh way of saying someone's really really behaving badly uh immorally wildly they're behaving like a corinthian so that's the culture of the city that uh that this church has been birthed into a church where people are wealthy successful proud but also a huge amount of kind of sexual promiscuity, immorality all around the city. And so we have this contrast between the culture of the city and the culture of the church. The city are are people ignorant of the one true God, but the church are people who have come to know God. Uh, The city does not know Jesus or his gospel. The church uh, has come to know the gospel. Uh, The city are living for self, The church are called to live for the glory of God. And the the city is is empowered simply in their own uh, means and will and strength, but the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have this contrast and that the call of the church is to be an influence on the city. Uh, The church is called to be a light, a light to the city, uh, to show them Jesus. But what's actually happening in Corinth as we get into the letter, we'll see this, is that the opposite is happening. The church is being influenced by the city rather than the, the, the church influencing the city, if that makes sense. The church, uh, the culture of the city is seeping into the church. And so everything that is evident in the city around it is actually being practiced in the church. And it's interesting that when we look at some of the stuff that's happening in the, in the church in Corinth, some of the stuff is things that, that aren't happening in our church. And it might be easy for us to think, well, you know, gosh, that would never happen in our church. You know, people are going to, to communion and to services in Corinth and in the church there, and they're getting drunk with the wine set aside for communion. And there's kind of some stuff happening in terms of uh, sexually that is just really, really off. And, and we don't see that in our church. But the core issue about the fact that the church is so easily influenced by its surrounding culture is something we've got to battle against today, that the the, the culture of our city so easily influences how we live as Christians. And that's exactly the problem that they're facing. So we are are a people who are um, Adelaideans, those of us who live in Adelaide. We are Australians. We are hills dwellers. Uh, and we are part of that community. But we are not meant to be the ones being shaped by that community. We are the ones who are meant to be a light to our community, taking the love of Jesus, the compassion of, of God, that the hope of the gospel out into our world. So coming back to Paul and Corinth, uh, Paul had planted the church in Corinth. He'd travelled there, planted the church, led uh, the first first believers to know Jesus, established a framework for a church, and had lived there for 18 months. He then moved um, uh, away from Corinth. Uh, It's believed he's living in Ephesus uh, at the time of writing this, and he now hears reports about what's happening in Corinth. Since he's left, things have gone really, really downhill. Uh, Crazy things are happening in the church, and Paul hears about this and he writes to address the issues as someone who's got authority in that church, as the person who's like the founding pastor. And now he writes to them and says, hey, guys, this is what I've heard. And I'm writing to speak to you truth about what it is to be the church. And it's interesting, I think, to be focusing a series on the church at this time in, in, in our history. It's a time when uh, we, we start this series as a church, not meeting physically together. Uh, it's a time when we we speak about church when uh, as I've spoken about previously the place of church in our culture is shifting and our culture is shifting further and further away from the influence of Christianity in its uh, morals and practices and it's also interesting to be preaching this series at a time when we are about to go through uh, change in, in pastoral leadership and so to focus in on the church at this time to me seems pretty appropriate so let's get into the the passage uh well paul says paul an apostle uh called to be an apostle of jesus by the will of god and our brother soothness to the church of god in corinth to those sanctified in christ jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our lord jesus those first two things the call to be Uh, sanctified or the declaration that they are sanctified and that they're called to be holy sanctified is actually a way of saying set apart and holy. So it says you are holy and you're called to be holy. Paul's making this point right up front that this church is called to be distinct. It's called to be separated and set apart. He then goes on with a, a very common greeting. Paul makes grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus. In verse 4 to 8, Paul gives thanks to the church in Corinth. And it's kind of surprising, given what is about to come, the issues happening in the church, it's kind of surprising that Paul would give thanks for them in the light of all the difficulties that are happening. But there's actually three reasons Paul finds to give thanks. Firstly, he gives thanks because of um, God's grace given to the church in Christ Jesus So no matter where a Christian is at and no matter where a church is at, we can actually give thanks for the fact that God has poured out his grace on that person or on that church. There's always reasons to give thanks for a believer, no matter where they're at, we can be thankful that God has given his grace to them. Secondly, uh, this church uh, doesn't lack any spiritual gift. This is a church where Um, they actually have the gifts of the spirit at work and Paul affirms that in them. A lot of their behavior and their practices are wrong, but the fact that they have the spiritual gifts at work and there's evidence of spiritual gifts, Paul affirms that still in them. And finally, I think the key thing that Paul affirms is the knowledge that God is going to keep them secure says in verse eight, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I want to affirm you guys, even though there's a lot of negative and bad stuff happening in your church, I can affirm you because I know that God has still got you. And I want to kind of share that for anyone at the moment who's struggling in in your faith. If you're struggling in your faith right now, if you are in a situation where you are confused or doubting or struggling with something, or feel like you're away from God, there's something in this that is so important to affirm, which is that God's still got you, and he doesn't let you go, and he won't let you go, and he will keep you to the end, secure, because actually your your security is not based on your practice, but on God's faithfulness. It's not based on whether you're really following God closely and it's not stopped by the fact that in the Corinthian case, they're actually living and doing stuff that's completely sinful in the midst of that. There is an assurity that salvation is by grace, not by works and God has got this church and God has got these Christians, and he is holding them secure. It says in verse nine, God is faithful. God is faithful who has called you, into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I kind of say this sometimes that um, there are verses that would be great for you to print out, stick up on your wall, put in your bathroom, put above your office desk. This is one of them. Verse nine of one Corinthians chapter one, God is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. No matter where you're at, we're kind of spread throughout Australia and the world hearing this this morning. And no matter where you're at in, in your journey, God is faithful. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship, into relationship, into, into walking with his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, I think that's uh, awesome, awesome. And I, I, I just love to be, love sharing that with you. Having affirmed these things uh, and the faithfulness of God, Paul enters into the body of the passage and he names the number one issue that he wants to face. So this is a church where there is uh, incest within, like people are practicing incest within the church. This is a church where people are getting drunk in communion. This is a church where people are taking lawsuits against their fellow believers over issues Uh, And and yet, Paul, the very first, what's the biggest issue that he wants to address? Kind of like what, what you're going to state first is really what's really the most important. And it's really interesting, despite those massive issues that they're dealing with, the very first thing Paul wants to talk about is the issue of unity. He wants to say that the first thing I want to talk about is unity and division. And I think that's because, as I said earlier, there's this incredible power in unity. I don't know if uh, some of you have had the privilege of traveling overseas and seeing a a building or a structure created with enormous stones. I'm thinking of something like the the pyramids in Egypt. Uh, For me, I haven't seen them, but I've seen up close and personal the uh, the, the walls of the, the temple, the stones in the temple mount. Some of you perhaps have traveled to a place like um, uh, Stonehenge in, in the UK, where there's these enormous stones and you think, and you know that they were made hundreds of years, potentially thousands of years before there were cranes and there were machinery and, and, and things that do heavy lifting. And you think, how on earth did they move these stones? How on earth did they build these structures? How is it possible for them to do this? And the answer often came back to the fact that it was simply thousands of people pulling at these stones and pulling in the same direction, that there were just a whole lot of people straining and pulling in the same direction. And for me, that's a picture of unity, the things that can be accomplished when people work together uh, to accomplish incredible projects that even today would be remarkable to achieve. In comparison with that uh, is the picture of a tug of war, right? Who's done a tug of war before and been part of that? Uh, we, we, we all have your lineup and there's a bunch of people on one side, there's a bunch on the other, and they're all holding this massive heavy rope. And in the middle, you tie uh, a ribbon or, or a cloth of some kind or a towel, and that's the marker, and everyone starts straining with all their might. And no matter how much effort you're putting in, what happens, the rope just moves very, very, very slightly in one way and then the others start to realize and then they strain really hard in the other direction. And the, and the, 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 the rag that's in the middle just stretches just very slightly in the other way. And, and the movement, what it's achieving is very, very little until eventually one group get overpowered and they end up, uh, the other group all cheer as it, it goes in their direction and the others invariably fall over and end up on the ground. And there's a picture of the opposite of everyone pulling in the same direction. It's when people are pulling in opposite directions. Firstly, a huge amount of effort goes in for very little outcome. And secondly, when the te- one team wins, it's at the cost of the others who end up on the ground and that's conflict. The difference between conflict and unity. Unity, everyone pulling in one direction, able to achieve incredible things. Division, huge amount of strain and effort, but going almost nowhere. And when there is any movement, it's at the cost of a group of people. And so as a church, how often, um, I guess in your experience, have you seen either the beauty of unity or sadly the pain and the cost caused by disunity i've probably seen it in the church i was growing up in i've seen it in 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 churches i've been part of i've seen disunity between pastors as a pastor myself i've seen situations where pastors aren't talking to each other where elders and pastors are divided where elders and congregations are divided where people within congregations are divided. And every time you see a disunity, there is such an incredible cost that comes because of it. Now, as a church, we are passionate about a lot of things. We're passionate about the truth of the gospel, our theology. We're often passionate about trying to see the mission go in directions in a particular way. And we've got, we hold strong views so the church is always at risk of disunity because of our convictions, because of our passions, because we think these things are so important, and they are. But because we hold them tightly, because we want to be doing the right thing, and because we, 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 we you know, have different views, it can lead us into a position of uh, conflict and disunity. The specific problem in the Corinthian church is uh, a division over leaders, as Lauren talked about in the kids' uh, message. Some are um, saying, hey, I follow Paul. Others, Apollos. Others, Cephas, that's Peter, the Apostle Peter. And then some saying, uh, I follow Christ, I follow Jesus. What's really interesting in this is that there's no evidence in the Bible that Apollos, Peter, and Paul were ever, ever in conflict with each other. So it's not as though Paul and Peter were leading factions in conflict with each other, but actually they were united. And the message of Peter fits with the message of Paul. And from what we understand, the message of Apollos, all of them were faithful gospel preachers. They weren't establishing factions. Yet as they were leading people to Jesus and baptizing them, people were like, Well, you know, I've been baptized by Paul, so now I'm a follower of Paul and his teachings is the best one and the right one. And someone else, well, I got baptized by Peter, so I'm following his teaching. Another one, Apollos. And Paul is coming along saying, guys, this is completely wrong. You know, you weren't baptized into my name. You weren't baptized in Peter's name. The only name we were baptized in is the name of Jesus. And he compels them and calls them to unity He says, I appeal to you in verse 10, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there may be no division among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. You know, I think there's, there's three, really quickly, three benefits of unity, three reasons why we should be united. One is for the mission, as I've spoken about, that when we are united, we advance forward. And when we are divided, all our attention turns inward, all our energy becomes inward, and we stop looking out to the mission and we just worry about the stuff happening within our church. Second reason is is actually something uh, not practical, it's something spiritual. When we are united, we actually reflect the very nature of God, who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, Perfectly united. And so when the church is united, it reflects the nature of God and it follows our call to be Christ like and to be godly. It's like when you go into a church and there's unity, it feels right and you feel it and you sense it and it feels right because it is right because it's reflecting the nature of God, a spiritual reality played out in the life of the church. Equally, when there's disunity, it feels wrong. Because it is wrong. It it just feels like it's jagged. It's it's just just not reflecting the very nature of who God is. And so we are called to reflect God's nature in the way the church practices. The third thing is that the church is called to be a community of care. And once we become divided, uh, it causes an an enormous amount of hurt uh, in people's lives. So this is the call. Uh, I guess there's a bigger question here, which is, what does it mean to be perfectly united in thought and word? Well, if we take that to an extreme, it means we've all got to think exactly the same. We've all got to sort of be um, clones of each other. And let me tell you, that's not consistent with the rest of the word, which speaks also about our uniqueness as people. Some churches, I think, pursue unity in a way that's unhealthy where it's all like, this is exactly what you need to sort of do and say. And, 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 and churches end up like everyone dresses the same. Everyone talks the same. Everyone looks the same. Everyone sounds the same. And that is surely not what uh, we want in God's church. There's a beauty about our uniqueness as well. But I think this is about being united, coming together and sharing the same heart and mind about what matters most which is the gospel and we find our unity when we meet together at the foot of the cross and we humble ourselves and we realize that we are all sinners saved by grace and how much how much division would be removed through acts through a humble attitude when people humble themselves and realize they actually don't know everything have all the answers and have it all sorted but we are sinners saved by grace When we meet at the foot of the cross, we find unity. When we meet at the empty tomb, we find unity because we're reminded that we're a resurrection people and we're called to live a new life. When we meet at the place where Jesus gave his great commission, we are united in purpose in this commission to take the gospel to the world. And when we meet in the upper room where the spirit was given, we are united in the, the knowledge that we are a Holy Spirit people. And that his spirit is at work in us and his spirit is guiding us. And when we allow the spirit to speak to us, he will bring us together in unity. So we need to stand before the cross together, stand at the tomb together, uh, stand in the space on on the mountainside where Jesus gave the great commission and in the upper room where the spirit fell. And as we do that, God himself will unite us. I guess I'll finish this morning by um, I guess just sharing that, that the timing of this message, as I said, is really interesting. Someone shared with me when I announced uh, my resignation as pastor, they said one of the, the, the things that they're so thankful for is that we've, we've just come through a great season of unity as a church that the past 10 years has been a time where there's been fantastic unity. And I guess I close out this message by drawing us back to the fact that unity doesn't just happen. Unity is something we need to keep praying for, pursuing, uh, humbling ourselves amongst each other so that we might achieve unity as a church, as God brings it out. Let us not take unity for granted in the coming season where there's change, transition of leadership we need to be prayerfully and purposefully seeking to remain united. Because if unity is lost, we lose our mission. We lose reflecting the nature of God, and we will cease to be a caring church that we want to bring people into. But if we retain unity, we will continue to be a church that, goes after the mission of God and seeks to take that out to our world. We will continue to reflect something of the absolute beauty of the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit in perfect unity. And we will continue to be a caring, loving and gracious church that welcomes people who are broken and hurting and is a place of healing and hope. So let me pray and then I'm going to hand over to Beck and Blake to lead us in a final song. Heavenly Father, I pray for Hills Baptist Church. I pray for it now and as it moves forward into the coming season, that you would unite us by your gospel. Unite us at the cross. Unite us by your spirit. Unite us as we are sharing the nature of God, Father, Son and Spirit, as we kind of changed by the very Uh, nature of god as, as father son and spirit relate to us and work in us and may we be a church that shines the light of jesus to our community first and foremost by our unity as jesus said by this will all people know you are my disciples by your love for one another the unity and love that exists in the church we pray for that i pray for that in jesus name amen